This is ARRL's Eclectic Tech, a bi-weekly look at the technical and scientific side of amateur radio with your host Steve Ford, WB8IMY. Eclectic Tech is brought to you by ICOM. ICOM, for the love of ham radio, is about the passion for an incredible hobby. Visit ICOM in the community webpage at www.icomamerica.com forward slash community. I'm speaking with Steve Allen, KC1SA, and Steve recently retired. Congratulations, Steve. Uh, Thank you. As a, uh, or from a career as being an applications engineer for many years and being deeply embedded, no pun intended, in the semiconductor industry. And Steve, you gave a presentation recently that I happened to see on a topic that really goes well beyond amateur radio, and that is the current semiconductor shortage. Uh, and and you're, you're quite well versed on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I had a, uh, a long career as a, an application engineer for a couple of pretty big distributors. I won't mention their name, but uh, pretty big distributors here in the U.S. and worldwide. And um, as an application engineer, I, I helped uh, engineers design in, you know, semiconductors, whether it be memory, microprocessors, FPGA, op amps, you know, you name it, uh, A to D's, D to A's. I helped engineers sort of guide them down the right path on what parts to use based on inputs that we got from manufacturers. Um, and those inputs could have been, you know, expected lead time. Hey, we're going to get rid of this part in three years. Don't recommend it to new customers, et cetera. So um, when the pandemic hit in 2020, um, early January, February timeframe, not many people in the semiconductor industry were too concerned. But then as um, sicknesses and illnesses started hitting the factories in the Far East, um, they started not running 24-7, seven days a week. They started shutting down shifts. And that was probably the beginning of the demise of uh, being able to get semiconductor parts quickly. And over the last, um, since March, April of last year, this progressively gotten worse. Um, you know, the, the factories have um, not expanded because um, they, they were unsure of what the business outlook would be because of uh, the pandemic. And, um, you know, you can see this now with, you know, cars. I, I just read an article yesterday where I think Toyota um, actually is reducing their production capacity. And I can't remember what it was, how long and what the period was, but it's, it's happening now. They're reducing their production capacity by 20%, which... I think it's about 360,000 cars they won't be making because they can't get semiconductors. Wow. So it's, um, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, so, and, and when I had my little talk with our local club that you're referring to oh, about a month or so ago, um, we, we, we ran field day and somebody um, inadvertently blew up the finals on one of our radios. I think it was a Yesu something or other. And, uh, I sort of giggled a little bit and I said, geez, I hope you can get them because, <laughs> uh, you know, the semiconductors industry, the way it is right now, you may be in for rude awakening. You may not be able to get those parts for a long time, but it happens to be that it was an older radio and there was old stock around and stuff. So I guess the, the, the problem that, you know, you'll see with semiconductors is not necessarily the old stuff. 
but it's the new stuff, you know, the the newer processing processors, newer memory, uh, newer semiconductor parts that you'll have a tough time getting if you if you break something. I personally have an ICOM 7610, and that has some relatively new Altera, now Intel, FPGAs, and some relatively new uh, analog device uh, ADV converters inside that. And if those had to be replaced, it could be a while to get new ones. I, I know analog devices, um, they're, they're a pretty big uh, semiconductor company. They have their own fabs and they have their own test facilities. So they sort of aren't at the whim of some of the semiconductor companies that are fabless, they say. They, they don't really have the infrastructure to make parts. They depend on, um, you know, I'll call them job shops. Um, TSMC is one of them in, in China that uh, that makes uh, semiconductors for many companies, including Intel. Um, but uh, analog devices really had a good job. They did a good job keeping things in line and not getting hurt too badly with the semiconductor crunch. But then I retired in July, and then um, by the beginning of August, I'm hearing from some of my friends that are still in the workforce that uh, some of their lead times have gone out to you know 40 plus weeks. Wow! So, so you know, you, you sort of you, you get um, you get scared when you hear things like that uh, because it typically takes about 16 weeks to make a semiconductor typically. And that's after they have the wafer from whoever's making the wafers for them. And then they have to do all this processing to make the chip, the IC, right? So it takes about 16 weeks to, to make a, an IC once they have the raw material. And to make that raw material, that takes probably another eight to 10 weeks. So there's, there's a fair amount of work that goes into making a, 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 an IC, an integrated circuit, like 700 steps or so. So it takes a while, and you know, typically they they plan ahead, and they, they they know what what their they, their forecasts are going to look like. So they've got this nice machine running that is running really well. But then the pandemic hit, and they sort of messed everything all up. So um, it's 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 discerning um, to see where we are with semiconductors right now, um, and and the the industry feels that. It's not going to get better in 2021, and here we are already in September almost of 2021. So, um, you know, the year's almost over, and they don't predict it's going to improve in 2022. So we're looking at 2023, maybe, that things will get better. Well, now, Steve, during your presentation that I happened to see, you did a, a very good outline of, well, in a sense, how we got to where we are, which was sort of a, a description of the semiconductor manufacturing process as it exists today. Uh, and, and by the way, could you define fabs? Uh, that, oh. was, that was a term that came up frequently, but could you uh, outline that once again for the podcast? Sure, no problem. Um, yeah, you know, you're in this industry for a long time and you use these words interchangeably all the time and you forget that, you know, people who aren't in the business may not know what you mean. So, so a fab is, um, a fabrication facility. Um, and we call it fab for short. So you've probably seen, maybe you've seen some commercials. I think Texas Instruments did some commercials a few years ago on the Super Bowl and there's some, maybe Intel doesn't. You see these people all dressed up. 
they call them bunny suits, but it's basically a clean room. And it's not just a room, it's the whole facility is clean with positive airflow. So when you go into the facility, you know, you go into this like interlocking chamber so that no air from the outside world can get into this thing. So it's a, it's a clean room because when you're making a semiconductor, you know, things are microscopic. Um, so any, uh, you know, a hair, if a hair gets, you know, in the process of making an integrated circuit, well, probably the, that part's going to be no good. <clears throat> and, you know, there's thousands of these uh, integrated circuits that are made on each one of these wafers. And a wafer is a, uh, it looks like a record album showing my age. Not, I'm not, hopefully everybody knows what a record album is, but, you know, record album size, you know, LP 12 inch wafer um, is what typically is being used today to make memory and microprocessor uh, type products. Intel, I think, is building on a 300 millimeter uh, wafer size, which is 300 millimeters in diameter. Um, so they make, you know, uh, probably a couple of thousand processors on each one of those wafers and they slice them up and then they package them and they send them off to a packaging facility that will attach uh, very, very, very thin um, usually gold wires um, if it's a leaded part. And if it's not a leaded part, then they attach these columns of, of uh, conductive material, which is usually some gold-related something or other, uh, to come out to a, a ball at the bottom of the integrated circuit. And I used IC before. I'm not sure if everybody knows what an IC is, but IC stands for integrated circuit. And an integrated circuit is uh, loosely defined as something that has more than one transistor on it. Um, so um, that sort of hopefully explains a little bit, but the process is very, very um, uh, consuming. Um, I, I grew up in New England and, you know, New England's got a, a pretty good uh, history of semiconductor. Um, I'm, um, just a, a, a data point. So national semiconductor, which was uh, a pretty big, uh, semiconductor company in the 60s and 70s, um, and even in the 80s and 90s, they, they were very, very big uh, semiconductor manufacturers. They they started in Danbury, Connecticut, oh. um, which is and, and I and I I live in Connecticut, so it's like wow, they were in Danbury, Connecticut. Well, they're not here anymore. And over the years, you know, these these companies get acquired. National Semiconductors acquired by Texas Instruments uh, about 10, 12 years ago. So it's a it's an, you know. New England has a very good uh, background in uh, integrated circuit technology. Uh, I live in Connecticut, and we have a couple of companies here in Connecticut that make equipment. I can't mention their name, but they make equipment that goes into these fabs where they produce the uh, integrated circuits. And if you think of these things, uh, you know, the, the, the smallest geometry product being made now on a fab is three, uh, 0.3 micron, 0.3 nanometers, I'm sorry, 0.3 nanometers, which is about, I'm going to say 60, 50, 60 atoms wide. So wow. um, it's really small stuff. And, um, and I may be getting some of my numbers off a little bit because like, you know, I'm doing this off the top of my head at the moment, but this really, really small stuff. And if you go back, you know, um, 20 years ago or so, you know, in 1971, the smallest geometry transistor we were making as a, you know, in the, in the technology was 10 micrometers. And then by 
2001, you know, 30 years later, we were down to 130 nanometers. And if you're using an Intel first generation i7 processor, you're probably, I think, on a 45 nanometer node. Um, so that's still pretty big process. And today, um, Intel and I think AMD is using TSMC too. Both TSMC and Samsung, they are the leaders right now in um, geometry size. And they're down to, you know, I'm going to say three nanometers. They'll be in production next year with their huh. process, 0. 0.3, 0. 0.3 nanometers. So um, it's, I'm sorry, three nanometer process. So it's, it's really um, amazing technology. And, you know, you can do the research. It can, you can figure out wavelengths of light. Um, you're, you're almost getting into the wavelengths of light when you're creating these products. Um, it's just amazing. Absolutely. And did I understand you correctly, uh, again, referencing your presentation, that a tremendous amount of the chip manufacturing is no longer done in the United States? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a sad thing. You know, I, I, I graduated from college in 80. So um, um, in 1980, um, I, I don't remember the exact percentage, but, you know, over 50% of the silicon produced in the world was made right here in the U.S. Um, we had, you know, we had Intel, we had AMD, um, trying to think of other people that we had but we had very big semiconductor countries companies with fabrication uh facilities right here in the u.s they were in texas um arizona uh new mexico california a couple in oregon intel had a couple up in oregon uh, but over the years well first of all it's really nasty making silicon there's a lot of nasty chemicals so in a way it's a good thing that they're not made in this country because it does really pollute the environment um, but it's too bad that it's not made in this country because it's a technology that we're slowly losing control of. And right now, uh, China, uh, and, and I should say the Far East, Japan, uh, Taiwan, uh, actually uh, Korea, Samsung's in Korea, and TSMC is in Taiwan. They have the leading edge technology right now. And it's scary to the U.S. because of um security for our country i mean a lot of you know aircraft military hardware uses silicon uses uh, semiconductors and if we do, if we can't produce these silicon we have to depend on perhaps a, a foreign country we're not friends with anymore we're going to be really in tough shape so that's why you know biden and i think trump was trying to do it as well we're trying to bring that back to the u.s and start making more uh, more fabs here. And actually, Intel uh, committed, oh, I forgot how many billions of dollars um, to create um, uh, a new fab. I think it's in Arizona, but it's one of, the, one of the southwestern states. But these fabs cost billions of dollars. And generally, they're only good for like five to six years uh, because the process changes, the process size changes. And therefore, you can't make, you know, smaller process parts in this old fab. So it's cheaper to build a new fab than it is to retrofit the one that they just spent $5 billion on. So it's, it's pretty crazy. In terms of the shortage and with the fabs being located in the Far East, is it fair to put all the blame, if you want to call it that, on the pandemic? Or is it a confluence of, of factors? It, it's, a, it's, it's, it's like that movie, The Perfect Storm. Um, you know, things just... Everything 
happened at the at the in the wrong time. I mean, the pandemic hit, but then um, there was a big fire in Texas, I think it was, and they made this this fab. I mean, this this company they produced a huge percentage of the plastics used in the packaging of the integrated circuit. So when that plant fire happened, it took all the plastics. Uh, took that much plastics out of the market so they couldn't make parts anymore. They could make parts, but they couldn't package them so you can't sell them. And then um, the cold weather last winter um, in Texas, which, you know, they don't usually get freezing weather. I have a friend that lives in the Dallas area and he has an in-ground pool and he sent me a picture, I don't know, January, December, January timeframe. He was standing on his pool. It was frozen solid um, (laughs) in-ground pool. So it's just crazy, right? But, um, I, I know NXP and uh, Infineon, um, which at that time it might have been Cypress. Infineon, uh, Cypress was acquired by Infineon a few months back. And they make memory in Texas, the, that company. And NXP makes processors down there. And when the cold weather hit, um, it, uh, they had um, electric grid outages. So they, they lost power going to their fabs. And the fabs have backup power, but the backup power failed. And then water pipes froze and like flooded fabs. Oh, and, um, and, and when that happened, they lost like 12 to 16 weeks worth of work. Mm. And one fell school, millions of dollars they lost. So, um, it, it's, so it's a perfect storm. So many things bad happened in 2020 um, to cause this chip shortage that we're seeing now. It's, um, it's, it's, it's sad, you know. Not to put you on the spot, but if you had a crystal ball, <laughs> when will things recover? When will things get better in terms of this shortage? Um, that's a tough one. If the pandemic allows people to do less distance learning, I guess you'd call it, or because right now the PC industry is really um, causing a little bit of a pressure on the supply problem now, too. And it's not so much processors. It's... Um, the small stuff like the USB controllers, the the uh, uh, display drivers, the, the 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 chips that yeah you don't think much about. I need the processor, I need the memory. Yeah, that's that's the, that's a PC. But then you got all this other stuff that makes it up too. The 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 homeschooling, the virtual distancing, the virtual meeting stuff is driving um, laptop sales really high. And I just read this morning that laptop sales are up 27% over a year ago. Whoa. And last year, yeah, last year people were um, clamoring to buy laptops because, you know, their their employer said, hey, you got to work from home, right? So PC sales were up a little bit last year, but they're up 20, I read it was 27% today, um, which is, you know, scary. So <clears throat> will it get better in 2022? Maybe toward Q4. I, I would think that by by the fall timeframe of Q4 of 2022, um, yeah, we'll probably see lead times start to come down to normalcy. And normal lead time on semiconductors is generally eight to 12 weeks. Um, when you start seeing 24 week lead times, you get a little scared. And right now, like I said, we're seeing 40 plus week lead time on, on parts <clears throat> and, uh, you know, allocation. And so, you know, how allocation works is, you know, the supplier, let's say NXP or, you know, um, Atmel or, or, or Microchip now, any of these, you know, big companies will basically go to the uh, distributors who, you know, basically 
are the big customers for the manufacturers and say, hey, we're going to give you a million parts of this for Q3. That's all you're going to get. And then the distributor is responsible to tell their customers, hey, we're going to have some parts and what's your order look like? And if the customer waits until the last minute to place their order, there may not be any in the queue for them. Sure. So, you know, there's there's a lot of customers that like to do just in time. You know, they don't want to have any inventory. And those are the customers that might be at risk um, of feeling the wrath of the semiconductor shortage. So, um, yeah, I think to, I think the end of 2022, things are going to look much better than they are today. So we got about another year of this. Um, certainly by 2023, I really hope it's a lot better. When 2023 comes around, we can hopefully have relief. But until then, it's fair to say that any ham with a newer transceiver needs to take really good care of it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, don't run 100 watts into an SWR of uh, 4 to 1 or something like that. You <laughs> might, uh, you might not like that. Um, and and I, I haven't really, you know, I have seen something um, like um, I've seen lead times and prices go up considerably on amplifiers. I I, I won't mention any names, but um, I, I was really shocked that the price of, you know, some six and 800 watt amplifiers, when I got into the hobby back in 2014, they were six, $700. Now they're over a thousand. Wow. And so the price prices have gone up. um, And a lot of times when you go to looking, eh, maybe I'll buy one. You go look and it's like they're out of stock. So um, it's not just semiconductors that have this component shortage. Capacitors are are shortages. Um, Resistors have shortages. All the, it's just not semiconductors. Semiconductors is sort of like the problem child. Everybody just throws everybody, everything into that word, but it's, there's everything in the electronics industry is really um, in a crunch right now. Well, Steve, thank you very much. This has been extremely informative and at least you, you leave us with a, a ray of hope for 2023. 2023 is the the year. Okay. Thanks again, Steve. All right. You have a good day, Steve. Tune in again for the next episode of Eclectic Tech, produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. If you have comments, email eclectic at arrl.org. This episode is copyright ARRL, and all rights are reserved. I'm Sabrina Jackson. KC1JMW. See you next time.